0: podcastle 324 for august 12th 2014 without faith without law without joy by saladin ahmed rated r contains violence and gore hello and welcome back to podcastle i'm dave thompson your host and co-editor My friends, we're living in wondrous and odd times. I get giddy thinking about it, and I have a hard time explaining how exciting things are right now in the field of fantasy fiction to friends of mine who aren't paying attention to it. We live in an age where the world wants to grind us down, where it tries to erase members of our population and make them invisible. But instead of letting that happen, I feel like we're thriving with a host of diverse authors Making huge splashes in genre fiction, and in fantasy in particular. Fantasy, a genre that's built on pure make believe and escapism. But armed with those tools, some very fine authors are writing stories that grapple with what it is to be human when the world tries to tell you otherwise. How we define ourselves and move forward. At Podcastle, showcasing diversity is one of our goals here. We love fantasy fiction especially fantasy that challenges us and attempts to show us reality in a different light. A few weeks ago, we ran Cameron Hurley's excellent essay, We Have Always Fought, which called out how warrior women have been made invisible in our history books and even our fiction. They're not the only ones, of course. We often see people of color vilified, often stereotypically so or just simply ignored. This trend goes back as far as our fiction does. We can see it in one of epic fantasy's most influential and classical works, Edmund Spencer's The Fairy Queen, which in one book, a knight must, in addition to freeing himself from a witch, do battle with three Saracen brothers, Sansfoy, Sansloy, Sans, Foy, Sans Soloy, and Sans Joy. Translated, that's Faithless, Lawless, and Joyless. Saladin Ahmed was inspired to write this story in response to Spencer's poem for the anthology Rags and Bones, new twists on timeless tales that came out last year and was edited by Melissa Marr and our good friend Tim Pratt. I've read through the whole book. It's incredible. It's got stories by Neil Gaiman, Garth Nix, Holly Black, and more. But this story, I'm not kidding you, this story is the best of the bunch. And as it was inspired by Spencer's poem, There's a touch of old with an E English in it. Quotes of the Fairy Queen, to be specific. Do not let that scare you. Stick with it. Steve gives it a wonderful rating. And I believe you'll find this to be an incredibly satisfying, dare I say, inspiring listen. Saladin Ahmed is no stranger to our loyal podcast listeners. He wrote one of my favorite superhero stories. Dr. Diablo Goes Through the Motions as well as the incredibly fun Sword and Sorcery tale, Where Virtue Lives, and the weird Western Mr. Hodge's Sunset Ride. He's the author of the novel Throne of the Crescent Moon, which we spotlighted way back when, and went on to become a finalist for the Hugo, Nebula, Crawford, Gimmel, British Fantasy Awards, and won the Locus Award for Best Fiction Novel, as well as receiving starred reviews from Publishers Weekly, Kirkus, and Library Journal. He's very busy working on his next novel, the sequel. Um, is he done yet? No? Okay. How about now? No? Hmm. Okay. Um, now? (laughs) Take your time, Saladin. We'll be here when it's ready. Our reader this week is Steve Anderson, who's narrated stories for all three Escape Artist podcasts, most recently, he did the Exiles Club for our bonus feature, he did the October Witch for us last year, and recently growth spurred over at Pseudopod. What we didn't know when we sent him this story is that before he became a voiceover artist, Steve used to be an English professor and a scholar of medieval and renaissance literature, including Edmund Spencer's Fairy Queen and the Arthurian legends. Basically, He spent his whole life preparing to read Spenserian fanfiction for you. Man, the next narration gig is going to feel like such a huge letdown after that. So, remember the names of your brothers. Remember your own. And enjoy the story.
1: Without faith, without law, without joy, by Saladin Ahmed. There lies he now, with foul dishonor dead, Who, whilst he lived, was called proud Sans Foy, The eldest of three brethren, all three bred of one bad sire, Whose youngest is Sans Joy, and twixt them both was born The bloody bold Sans Loy. The Fairy Queen, Book One One. Which of all earthly things he most did crave, and ever as he rode his heart did earn to prove his puissance in battle brave upon his foe and his new force to learn. Holiness has murdered my brave brother. Holiness has mangled my mind and my name. Holiness has stolen God's love from me. I am walking a winding road of pale stone. Who am I? Where am I? I have answers, but they are forged falsehoods. For days, years, my brothers and I have been forced to live in this world that is not our world, and I have half forgotten my own. The one who abducted us, the mailed man-thing called Holiness, calls this place Albion. He calls it Fairyland. He calls it the Glorious Isle. The sunlight here is cold and lifeless, the trees are strange, and the birds have evil eyes. He has brought us here to test himself, to prove himself a worthy knight, to hunt us. I do not know how he brought us to this land of blood and iron masks. I know only that I am a real man, trapped in a mad landscape of living lessons. "'My brothers and I were spirited here from my home in—damascus? "'Yes, praise be to God that I can remember that—the sound of the street preachers "'and the smells of the spice vendors' stalls—damascus! "'We were sipping tea in a room with green carpets, and I was laughing at a jest that—that "'someone was making. "'Who? "'The face, the voice, the name—' have been stolen from me. All I know is that my brothers and I suddenly found ourselves in this twisted place, each aware of the other's fates, but unable to find one another, unable to find any escape. Now my eldest brother has been slain, and my next eldest brother has disappeared. Who am I? I do not know how he changed our names— in this world of lions and giants and a blinding shine of armor, I am called Joyless, as if it were a name. It was not my name. It is not my name. But this is his place, and it follows his commands. And thus, now, here, Joyless is my name, and Joyless has always been my name. This place This albion has scrawled its hateful sigils over even the past. Now, when I remember my mother's voice calling for me across the small souk, I can only hear her voice of rock and honey calling, Joyless, joyless, come here at once. Now, my father's last whispered words to me, as sunlight streamed in the wood lattice window, his last words all those years ago were... "'Joyless, my beloved, thanks be to God that you are such a smart boy. "'It is the only name I can find in my mind now. "'Whatever name I was once called, whatever name I once called myself, has been stolen. "'Joyless, a part of me knows it to be false. "'Some small, near-dead piece of my soul knows that I was once a joyful man.' Sometimes God grants me flashes of the man I once was, of what joy was. The feel of the falconer's glove as I hunted with my beautiful birds. The jeweled light on the water the first time I saw the sea. and The old poet at court granting my scribblings unfeigned praise. These are the sunbeams that break the murk for a moment here and there memories is too weak a word. They're like lightning, like the pain a marked thief or maimed soldier still feels in a hand that has been lost. But they are so fleeting that they do in fact become flashes of pain. And each day they fade, fewer, farther. Each day it becomes easier to succumb to the grim magic of this place that has claimed my kin— to forget, joy, to forget who I am. 2. Gentle night was pricking on the plain, he clad in mighty arms and silver shield, wherein old dints of deep wounds did remain, the cruel marks of many a bloody field. I am walking along a road of pale stone, I am hunted, and I am growing mad, but at least I live. My brave brother, ten years older he was, and like my second father, is dead. My beatific brother, whom I can only call faithless, though that should not be his name. He has been murdered by a madman who calls himself a knight, a butcher who is called saint in this place. What to call this killer? He has stolen our names and given us pissed-in husks as replacements. He calls us Sarazin, Sands, and Sands, and Sands. But he has kept names, so many names for himself. He is called Red Cross. He is called the Knight. He is called the Saint. He is called Holiness." It takes all of my power to break the spell of this place and its false names for even a moment, to snatch the breath, to call him not knight, but abductor, to call him not saint, but brother-killer. I walk past a twisted thing of moss and bark, flesh and tears, a man, a tree— Red Cross has filled this place with such horrors, to teach himself what it is to be a saint. I keep to the road. He is using this strange place to test himself, to prove himself to his god and his queen, and killing us is part of his test, it seems. He has hunted us, or set his creatures on us, the lion, the dwarf, the arch-magi." but it was Red Cross himself that struck down my brother. I was not there when they fought, but the vision came to me, emblazoned across the sickly sky of this place, sent as a gruesome taunt, perhaps by Red Cross himself. I heard the sounds of plate and mail. I saw the saint's hulking mass as he entered the dueling circle. His muscle and metal, his blood-seeking sword, and I saw my poor brother lean as a walking-stick. I watched him kneel to pray before the battle, watched his confused, terrified expression as he found that he had somehow lost the words. Faithless, this cruel night had renamed him. I could do nothing but watch as faithless, make God forgive me for remembering that as his name, faced his foe bravely, knowing nothing of the dark spells that guided the saint's arm. I watched them salute and advance and exchange feints. I watched the heat of the fight overtake them both. I saw them dodge and parry and swing. Then Faithless's sword struck true. How my heart had swelled, and it should have laid open the saint's mail and ribcage alike. But the knight's magic had saved him. The cross on his armor had somehow turned an unturnable blow. That's when I knew that this was all a foul jape, a madman's mock world. But my brother's death was real enough. In that one thing, the mad knight showed me reality. I saw it enameled in sky-fire, but as I watched I knew its truth in my soul. Red Cross raised his sword with that huge inhuman arm and brought it down on—on—no, it is no use. He brought it down on Faithless's head. My brother's helm was split in two— and I saw his brains glisten in the pale sun of cursed Albion. My brother's faith had failed to protect him. It had left him with a ruined skull. And as I watched wise Faithless's body fall, I was struck by lightning again, or I felt a pain in something cut off from me. I saw my eldest brother rising for the early prayer, while I mumbled wine-stained curses at the muezzin into my pillow. He wore a smile as he chided me, as if the old words, Prayer is better than sleep, were written across his face. And then, as the vision faded from the sky, for the briefest of moments, as his shield lay there in the dust, I saw new letters etch themselves across it, letters that spelled a name that was not faithless but they were too far away, or was it that they were too faint to see? Three. So long they fight and fell revenge pursue that fainting each themselves to breathe and let, and oft refreshed battle oft renew, as when two boars with rankling malice met. Still I follow the serpentine stone road, my beloved brother is dead. My only hope now is to find our father's second son, for the saint has stolen him from me too. My second brother, who lives by law above all else, has also had his name mangled by Red Cross. Now he is called Lawless, and he too is being hunted by the saint and his beasts. I can't hide the truth from God Lawless and I share little love. Both my brothers shamed me for my love of wine, but Faithless did it with love. Lawless, well, he lives his whole life by being mindful of what is permitted and what is forbidden. It is all he cares about. When we were children, he was a tyrant of an older brother, and little has changed since then. He tells me that I am too permissive with my own... with my own... "'It is no use. Some memory of mine has been stolen. I cannot dwell on this now. I must focus on the matter at hand. Lawless is my brother. I know not what has happened to him, but I will walk this world until I find out. For if ever I should find some way to escape, I cannot leave him here. I must find him.' And then the sky erupts in flame again, And I am granted another vision. My brother, the tallest of us, the largest in limb, stands in a clearing, the weird trees of this place all around him. His sword is in his right hand, in his left he holds his shield, the word Lawless glowing golden across it. Suddenly, I can see it in the sky fire as clearly as if I were there. Monsters fly forth from the woods, things that are half beast and half man. They dance on cloven hooves and play Oaten pipes, even as they try to rend my brother's flesh to bloody shreds. His eyes widen with terror above his neat trimmed beard as he beats them back. Do they fight of their own will? Do they do the Red Cross's bidding? I don't know. But they harry and drive him until he stands in another dueling circle. Two dozen paces from him, a fierce figure in green steel plate stands waiting. Is this the Red Cross in another guise, or some poor soul forced to play this brutal role by the same magic that has snatched us from our home? I no longer know whether it matters. My brother is going to die. The knight in the green armor strides forth, bristling with sword and dagger. He is tall and cowled in a cloak of leaves, Though he wears a man's shape, there is something in the way he moves that tells me, as loud as if it were shouted from the mountaintops, that he is not a man. Then he throws back the cowl. Two small horns adorn his forehead, and there is a goat-like glint in those eyes. Lawless's mouth curls down in disgust. They draw their swords, bellow angry words, and fly at each other. As they fight, I feel I am watching my brother fight his reflection. Their swords meet again and again and again and again. One warrior is knocked back by a blow on his shield, then the other is. The goat knight draws blood, then my brother draws blood. But no sooner do the cuts appear than they are gone. And now I see the truth of it. My brother will not die. The Red Cross and his accursed Albion have damned him to a crueler fate. This battle will never end. This creature that faces Lawless is part animal. And in fighting it, Lawless has become part animal himself. This is worse than death for my brother. He has lost his law, his connection to God. He will be trapped in this battle, snarling, bestial, lusting for blood, forever. I can watch no longer. As soon as I turn my gaze, the vision fades. It has done its work, I suppose. It has made certain no spark of hope, no spark of joy, might catch in my heart. Unless, unless I can destroy the Red Cross Knight, unless I can kill holiness. 4. Curse on that cross, quoth then the Sarazin, that keeps thy body from the bitter fit. Dead long ago I wot thou haddest been, had not that charm from thee forewarned it. I am the only one who really lives now. I am the only son of my mother and my father that this thing in armor has not slain in body or soul. But it is only a matter of time, of that I am certain." I can think of only one way to escape this fate. I could slay myself. The thought drifts to me, sweet and gentle as a breeze. Yes, I could destroy myself and be free of this place. My hand grasps my sword hilt. In my mind, I see each of my brothers die again, and I take three deep breaths. No, no, I cannot abandon faith so. I cannot abandon God's own law so. Not when I watched my most beloved brother die fighting. Not when I've seen my law-loving brother turned into a beast. No, I cannot flee the saint. And if I cannot flee from him, I must hunt him. It does not take much to find him. He is singing songs of praise for his queen— his voice like a trumpet as it blares across the plains. I walk the pale stone road following the sound of his songs, past castle and cavern, past a sleeping giant and a woman with a mouth full of scorpions. How many of us has he brought here with his magic? How many have been twisted into monsters on which he might wet his sword edge? After a half day's journey I finally spy his tent, like a great red war-drum. He has stopped singing. I approach as quietly as I can, keeping to the trees, trying to remain unseen. Outside the great scarlet tent of the Red Cross Knight, I see my dead brother's battered shield propped against a tree stump. Faithless is painted on it in gaudy gore, and beside it another shield. Lawless. He is dead too, then, still this false name shadows my soul. In the old poems, enchantments often die with those who've cast them. If I can somehow kill the night, perhaps I can free my brother's souls from this mad land. I call on God for strength, and I force myself to remember that my brothers lived by faith and by law. My eyes must burn and water with the effort— and as I watch, the letters waver as if seen through smoke. Has Almighty God rewarded me? Is the saint's strange magic fading? I don't know, but as I step from the shadows and into the sun, I see the hooks and edges of faithless melt and dance and change into the flowing script of my mother tongue, the script of the language of God. Abdullah the servant of God, that was my brother, spending all of his time with the poor, softly chiding me for my half-hearted fasting in that sweet, reedy voice. And lawless, those letters are gone, now the name Abdu'l-Hakam, the servant of God the judge, is painted across my second brother's shield." I see Abdu'l-Hakam walking with Abdullah through the small souk, his big hand on his sword, making it his duty to protect poor and rich, Muslim and Jew, from cheats and thieves. But my memory shrivels as I peer past the shield and into the great red tent. I see him. I see holiness. The man-shaped monster is before me again— but this time it is no vision. My bravery fails me. The great bulk of him, that great gleaming sword of his as long as a man, that great cross on his tabard that no sword can pierce, as red as blood or hellfire. He has made himself great in this place, and he has made me weak. My knowledge is instant and utter. I cannot kill this creature. He does not see me. He does not hear the grass crunch beneath my feet. Perhaps he is not even looking for me. He hunts greater monsters, dragons, and devils. I could run and hide and bide my time. It would be the easiest thing in this world. But again, I think of my brothers, of faith, and of law, and of (sighs) something else just beyond my grasp something that once brought me joy. I can cower no longer. If I face him, I will die, and it will not be an easy death. But I can cower no longer. I, the youngest son, the would-be poet who sleeps too late, will stand for my brothers, and God will decide my fate. One way or another, I will have an escape from this place. His back... A great mailed mountain is still turned to me. I could strike, but though this place has stolen God's love from me, I will not let it make me a devil. I will not let this Albion make me a backstabber. I will not let it make me a murderer. I call out a challenge. 5. Whereas an errant knight in arms he clad, an heathenish shield wherein with letters red was writ sans joy they knew arrived would find, enflamed with fury and fierce hardy head. The knight of the bloody Red Cross, the killer saint, the hate that calls itself holiness, turns slowly. His impossibly handsome face is radiant an unforgiving sun." His ice-blue eyes are alight with bloodlust and madness. He answers my challenge with haughty mock honor. He can afford this charade, for he knows that his grisly magic protects him. He has his chivalry and his cheat both. He wipes his gory hands on an unstained tabard. Soon we stand twenty paces apart in a circle of hard-packed earth, Each of us prepares our arms and our armor, our hearts and our souls. Each of us dreams of killing the other, though I know my dream is folly. Across the tanned leather of my buckler, Joyless, the only name I know, is scrawled in lines like knife slashes. Another flash. I am young, in the courtyard of a small mansion. I can see the old tree that I grew up reading beneath an important man in yellow silk. My father, he's training me to use the saber, though he knows I will never be the type who loves fighting. Always remember, Joyless, that you are fighting a man. Some part of me knows that my father did not call me Joyless, and yet I can remember the smell of his breath as he did so. It is the man you are fighting, not his sword or his dagger.' The lightning flash fades. i look up at my foe. This red cross is no man. He is anger in a suit of armor. He is war made flesh. We raise our blades and step toward one another. His great sword swings. I deflect the blow with my saber and riposte. We each dodge death once, twice, thrice. But each blow I meet rings through my muscle and weakens me. I will not last long. We match, blow, for blow, for blow. Our swords meet in a storm of steel, and each of us staggers from the impact. For a long moment we can only stand there and stare at each other, as shocked as two rams that have just butted heads. But I see in his snarl that this is all a mock to him. Sweat barely beads his brow, and his breath still comes easy— And my own body is sore and tired. Each breath I suck down is like drinking a bowl of fire. I will die soon. Red Cross attacks again. His great downward chop knocks my shield away, splitting the wood beneath the stretched hide. It comes close enough to killing me that I can smell the oil on his sword. I will die soon, but I will not die hiding. I will die doing what is right, what law and faith demand, and—and then the moments flow as slow as honey, and God takes mercy on a man about to die far from home. The Lord of the universe, of the true universe, grants me a boon. Before my eyes— The letters on my lost shield slip and tumble and writhe, they squirm and wriggle like newborn babes, until I can nearly read my name. My name, my name, not the name this murderer saint has given me, not the evil name that he has forced me to falsely recall having painted there. The man-thing holiness, with his monstrous mock courtesy, waits for me to regain my feet. I stand slowly, my eyes on the shield at Red Cross's feet, and as the letters reweave themselves, stolen memories return to my barren mind like cool water on parched lips. My wise little daughter, sitting on her divan, mastering her letters at four. My daughter, Aisha. When we learned my wife would never give birth again, I thought God had robbed me by not giving me a son." we had named her after the wife of the prophet, Aisha, alive. As she grew, I knew what true joy was. The clever tricks she pulled, my pride, in spite of her uncle's disapproval, as she wrote her first lines of poetry. Her name is Aisha. Red Cross's spell stole that joyful sound from me. But now it is mine again, Aisha, who made me as proud as any son could have. I will never see her again, but I will not die having forgotten her. Yes, I once knew joy. My daughter's name is Aisha, I say. My voice, her name, is sweet and strong to my own ears, like an angel's war horn— this place had nearly made me forget that I can speak. My brothers were Abdullah and Abdul-Hakam. The red cross's eyes widen with shock and fury, and he bares his teeth. Again I fix my eyes on my lost shield. Ein, Beh, Del, the letters of my name weave themselves into words. Lam, Wahoo. I am not joyless. I have never been joyless. You have lost, creature. I am Abdu'l-Wadud, I shout at the saint. Abdu'l-Wadud, the servant of God the Loving. And as I raise my sword and go to my death, I am smiling.
0: And welcome back. Dear God, huh? I don't know about you, but I was tearing up over here listening to the beauty and humanity that Saladin wove through that story. Of a man who's lost everything. Everything. Had his life and his family and the people he's loved and his whole world erased in the name of someone else's illusion of holiness. I don't think it would be too difficult for any of us right now work to find parallels to that in our world. How he finds it again in those last moments and takes joy in them and in all the curves life's thrown at him. Of raising your sword in the face of death and smiling. God, it's the essence of the human spirit right there. Everything that we are. I love it. I'm gonna crib from Saladin's notes at the end of Rags and Bones. He said, Spencer's The Fairy Queen is, in many ways, the unacknowledged urtext of the modern anglophone epic fantasy novel. Everything we love about epic fantasy—sword fights, monsters, jaw-dropping scale, a cast of thousands, the ability to make magic real to the rational reader—is there in The Fairy Queen. Book one, at least, is one of the masterpieces of English literature. However, The Fairy Queen also prefigures many of epic fantasy's weaknesses. It rambles horribly in later books and was in fact never finished. There's far too much description of clothing. More important, via a series of gruesome caricatures of women, of Arabs, of Catholics, Spencer sets a sort of precedent for epic fantasy's all-too-common hatred of the other. Despite this, or perhaps because of it, book one's recurring Muslim villains, the Saracen brothers, Sans Foy, Sans Sloy, and Sans Joy have always spoken to me. What was it like for them being trapped in this hateful allegory? That question led to this story. Thank you so much, Saladin. Here's a virtual hug, a fist bump, a kiss. Solidarity, man. I'm going to jet ahead to feedback this week for Daniel Abraham's The Meaning of Love, read by M.K. Hobson. This was the story of a bodyguard in love with a prince, said bodyguard is sworn to protect. A prince who was in love with a peasant woman. Oh, and also there's a political refugee and double crosses and hilarious discourses on the meaning of love. It was all kind of Shakespearean, actually, and did I mention it was a giant episode? It was also the episode I admitted being fooled by Abraham into thinking Asa was a female until Hobson turned in her reading, which led to some awesome discussions on gender and identity on our forum. Father Beast pointed out, for all the LGBT fans, this story is a win. If Asa is a boy, you have his gay crush on the prince. If Asa is a girl, you get your lesbian sex. If he's both, you get both, or neither. Your LGBT views won't have an influence on his construction. And anyway, I rather like this story. The prince was an idiot. Asa was incompetent and cynical, and the love-is debate toward the end was almost as satisfying for me as it was for Asa. Lots of fun. That seemed to be the general consensus for the story. Uh, Like our own Kibitzer said for the rest of our audience, briefly but eloquently, God damn, that boy can write. He said it in kind of an Australian accent, though, so... Yeah, just when you hear me say that, think Conan. Thanks so much for those comments. So what'd you think of this week's story? Let us know at forum.escapeartist.net or hit us up on our Facebook page, tweet at us. I like to think we're pretty accessible. And if you like our show, please drop on by podcastle.org and consider making a donation. Your money pays our authors and we take a lot of pride in being able to give our authors some token of our appreciation. So thank you for helping keep our show running. Whether it's a one-time donation or if you're able to sign up for a subscription for as little as a couple of bucks a month. You're making all the difference in the world. That's our show for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. Oh, a small announcement, but one I'm really happy about. We have new slush miners down here at the PodCastle Dungeons. I mean, treasuries. We're pleased to welcome Arun Jiwa and Sarah Goldman to our PodCastle team. They join LaShawn Wanick and Graham Dunlop in the slush treasuries, and on behalf of all of them, as well as your sound producer, Peter Wood, your editors, Anna Schwind, and myself, Dave Thompson, I want to thank you so much for letting us share another story with you. Next week, we're going to be taking you below London, deep into the underground for a dark contemporary fantasy. Until then, may we all be brothers and sisters, and may we remember each other clearly, and smile when we do so.
1: And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site.
0: Our closing quote is from Ralph Ellison, who said, Life is to be lived, not controlled, and humanity is won by continuing to play in the face of certain defeat. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next time.
1: Bodhisattvas, please hear my anguish, words of truth. What is right and what is wrong? Oh buddhas of the past, present, and future—they are drunk with demonic delusions. An ocean of measureless qualities. In an ocean of joy, our most cherished and long-felt desire. The might of your compassion arise to bring a quick end to the flowing stream of the blood and tears.